Let me pull up the thingy so I can remember our intro that we do every time. For like three years. And what, do you know what episode <laughs> it is? So this will be 14, I, really I believe. 14. 14? Yeah. I'll say 14. Okay. <laughs> what, just, just go 13, 14, 15. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That way you just wrong. know. <laughs> uh, do you actually want me to do that? Hello, everybody. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 14 of the Attempt Adventure Podcast, a podcast all about travel, finding adventure every day, and seeking out little ways to make your life more interesting. From Longmont, Colorado, I'm your host, James Barrett, joined as always by my co-host, Michael DeRosiers in Bangkok, Thailand. Man, that uh, that intro was goofier than I thought it would be. It was hard for me to sit here. Yeah, it's a little goofy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had to hold I had to hold in a laugh. I may I may just leave that in for the comedy of it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. One of those. Yeah. Oh man. Right, James. What's up? Yeah. Oh, you know, life. Mm. Drinking yep. water. Drinking my coffee. Birdie black. So my go to. Solid. Keeps yep. you keeps you going. Keeps me jazzed. Yeah, it's good. It's oh, yeah. it's the low sugar one. So it's only thirty five yeah. calories and it, but it's sweet enough that it's because I, I, I can drink black coffee, like if it's hot coffee, mm-hmm. you know, from a coffee machine, that's fine. But like iced black coffee, I just don't enjoy like an iced Americana. You know, I, it's iced, it just needs a little bit of sweetness, I think. Yeah, for me, I can drink black coffee, mm-hmm. but I don't like make any like I don't lie and say I prefer it. No. And this I, is not like I'm not insulting <clears throat> you black coffee lovers out there. Yeah. I just think that something hurt you at some point. <laughs> At the very least, I want some milk in it, you know? Yeah, something. something. Like, if I go to like a diner, mm-hmm. I'll drink just sugar, but I never want just black coffee. I can, again, it's like, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners no, will no. love this riveting conversation. This is great. <laughs> Insulting anyone who drinks black coffee. That's what we're all about here. We like to stir the pot. Alienate our listeners <laughs> on all the important issues. So what are, we, what are we talking about today, Michael? Well, James, today we are going to be having a returning guest, Mike Keen. He's back from his Greenland expedition, and he's here to tell us all about it. If you guys have not listened to the episode, I would recommend you guys to go back and listen to uh, the episode that we had earlier this year. That was season three, episode eight, nine, ten, <laughs> eleven, five. <laughs> season three, episode four. five. Mike Keen came on the show to talk about his upcoming expedition to Greenland. That is a expedition based around um, food and ecology and all sorts of interesting things. We'll go back and listen to the episode. He does fill us in on what it was all about in this episode as well. Wonderful. But uh, but do go back and listen to his first one, too, to kind of hear uh, everything else that he's all about. Super good guy. Really excited to have him back on the show. When we had told him, like, when you get back, let us know. Send us an email, and we'll have you back on the show. And he sure did. So, And he did. Before we get into all that, we're just going to talk for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I want to make a few quick little announcements here. I want to shout out our Kofi page, kofi.com slash adventure. I think. I never that's remember it. the Kofi no, page. No, that's it. <laughs> there you can... There you can if you feel like it, you can donate a little bit to us, buy us a coffee, a beer, whatever, really whatever, you know, if you specify, I guess we'll, we'll try. <laughs> yeah. Lemonade. Within reason. Um, um, 
soju. <laughs> just, yeah. If I can find it, I'll do it, I guess. But broth. <laughs> just a warm cup of <laughs> why? What are we mm. doing? We'd have to start with video recording if we had like now that yes. could be a funny thing. That could be a funny okay, thing. Okay, you know what? We can do that, but they have to donate more than the price of buying that drink as right. well. Because otherwise it defeats the purpose. So guys, say like let's say if you donate five dollars. You think I think we can get stuff for five dollars, right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. sure? At least one of us can. Okay, probably you guys, you. you know what? Here's the here's the deal. You guys probably know how much if you want us to drink something, you probably know how much it costs. Donate slightly more than that and let us know and we will drink it yeah i guess the, the grosser the grosser sense. it is the more you gotta donate i'm sorry <laughs> this isn't it's not that kind of show anyway kofi page again mm-hmm. we're never gonna lock anything behind paying we're never gonna hide anything for anybody it's really just to show your support and if you do like the show tell your friends tell your mom mm-hmm. talk about us over thanksgiving dinner if you yeah. want, when everyone else is, is, you know, griping, griping around, talking about. Yeah, hey, I saw this good um, podcast the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, yeah. When, let me tell you, if you got, if you got some of those family members, this is not going to be a fun Thanksgiving. So when Uncle Ted starts spouting some crazy stuff, just mention us. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I, I am going home for Thanksgiving this year, but I'm very lucky that I don't have that kind of uh, a family. Same. So although we are going to have two very young children there, my two nephews, and that's going to be you're chaotic but uh yeah my my niece is gonna be is gonna be there and but mm-hmm. but she's past the age where it's like you know i love kids don't get me wrong yeah yeah but when they're really little it's it's a lot mm-hmm. yeah but she, think, she's past that age where she's like a little person now and yeah i think fun. she's like one year older than my uh, oldest nephew so he's still in that crazy you yeah know. <laughs> it's, I mean, fun, it's fun it's fun it's fun they're both they're both very very Hey, your your parents have a great like backyard. You can just send them go run. Exactly, yeah, it's great. Give <laughs> us a shout so. out to your to your family. Tell yep. Uncle Ted that we can change his mind on some things. Yeah. Oh, he probably won't like our podcast that much. He no, probably not. <laughs> so okay, Michael, it's been a little bit since we talked. Yes, it has been. Life is life again. Yeah. Uh, Michael, did you do anything new this week or since we last spoke? Yeah. It's not super adventurous, but I did something new. I went to the Siam Carnival. It was sort of an outdoor kind of a carnival, I guess. It was on Halloween night that we did it. It was sort of a food festival. It was set up under the Rama 8 Bridge, and there were, like, carnival rides. I did not do those. I don't really trust carnival rides in the U.S., much less in Thailand, (laughs) so that was not my thing. But we did really enjoy getting to walk around under the bridge. It was a nice night. It was a little bit cooler here. Had some good snacks, like... I had a, a whole roasted quail, sesame quail. Like fair food. Fair, yeah, this is that's what it is. It's, it's like Thai fair food, Thai carnival food. It's always fun. You know, I'm know. I'm with you on the carnival rides, though. No, oh, yeah. I mean, if it's, you like see a, some of these... if it's like a dedicated theme park, I'm in. Yeah, Six Flags. But like a traveling carnival, I'm not getting on those. No, sir. Like, hey, where's this bolt from? <laughs> these, you know what this is? I know it's so tiny. Um, no, I can't really tell. It looks, from, my, from back here, it looks like popcorn. They are stir-fried squid egg. That is not popcorn. <laughs> no. Um, but this, were they good? Oh, they're yeah, they're good. I've had squid eggs before, actually. They are very good. They're usually served with sort of a spicy sauce. They're kind of chewy, kind of rubbery. Kind of like squid itself, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're good. I like squid. This is just okay. an egg. It's like a boiled egg on a stick, but then they yeah. grill it. So they actually grill. They don't boil the egg. They grill it over charcoal, also dipped in spicy sauce. And then this is it's chicken skewered on lemongrass and then grilled over charcoal so it takes on as the lemongrass cooks kind of steams it so it gets that lemongrass flavor 
I do love lemongrass. So that's what I did, James. That's what I've been up to. What about you? What have you been up to? Oh, boy, buddy. You know, I will admit I will be the first one to spin the wheel of penalty because I didn't do anything. Well, I'm excited, James, because of our new schedule, the way that we've been recording with these little gaps in between and ideally biweekly uh, with little gaps here and there as well. We haven't had to spin the wheel of penalty yet this year at all. So I'm, I'm excited. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're joining us for the first time, we do have a challenge where we must do something new uh, between each episode. And if we haven't had a new experience or an adventure of some sort, we have to spin the Wheel of Penalty, which is an actual wheel that I made on wheelrandom.com, where we plugged in a lot of adventurous activities, some bigger, some smaller. Let's just, let's just get right into it. Here we go. Spin that wheel. Ooh. Oh, boy. James, yeah, you gotta yeah. go. you got to go geocaching. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> It's free. You just get the app on your phone and you wander and okay. find, find stuff. Okay. I've never done it. No. <laughs> you're familiar with the concept, I'm sure. But Yes, I'm familiar with the concept. <laughs> you're going to figure, you're gonna have to learn it and then let me know how it works. All right. Okay. Yeah. I, all right. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be a little that's bit like one of those, like That's like <laughs> one of those weird ones where it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it might be it's a new something I, it's, James. Who knows? <laughs> it's something I have zero interest in ever trying. <laughs> that's the point of this challenge, right? Because a lot of these are things I wouldn't ever want to do. But, you know, maybe it's going to have a, be a new – it's a new experience. That's, that's the point. So since it's going to be a little busy and since we're actually recording two episodes today, why don't you try to have that done after Thanksgiving sometime? How about okay. Because, you know, we've got this week – which I, I genuinely think it's this... something you can do in 15 minutes in like a local park or neighborhood. I think that they're just... I have, yeah, it, I can just be done. Make sure you film it. Just vlog it. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. Well, I guess let's just get right into the episode then, shall we? So again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Mike Keen, adventurer, chef, explorer, scientist, homesteader, extraordinaire. So Mike Keen, everybody, for another fantastic episode on the Attempt Adventure Podcast. All right, Mike, welcome back to the show. So great to see you again. I have been so excited to hear your stories, hear about your adventure. How did it go? How right. was how was everything? Yeah, it was great. Well, I, I'm trying to remember when we did that first podcast. Was it was it only a couple of weeks before I went out, I think, I to think Greenland? I think it was. Yeah, I headed out to Greenland back in April, end of April this year, 2023, um, intent on uh, doing a solo paddle up the West Coast, 3,000 kilometers, eating only an Inuit diet, so pretty much all sea mammal or fish. Also collecting seal poo as I went to um, to send back to various scientific organizations to measure the microplastic uh, present in the, in the sea. I got back uh, mid-July, so 95 days on the diet and about, I think it's just over 80 days paddling altogether. Wow. Yeah, it went really, really well. It was, it was, it was incredible. When I look back through the photos and stuff, I, I, I can't quite believe that it was me doing it. But um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was brilliant. I had to, um, I stopped about six hundred kilometers shy of my original target mm -hmm. because of it just um, excessive sea ice. Yeah, you know, I, I was kind of plagued by really weird weather patterns the whole way. Um, it was, you know, my kayak got delayed actually being delivered to Greenland initially because the, the ship delivering it couldn't get through the sea ice, which is unheard of at that time of year. Wow. Because of the weather patterns being so screwy, they um 
the wind normally blows across the ice cap and, and moves all the sea ice away towards Canada and you found them. But that didn't happen for there for an extra four weeks this year. It hasn't happened in living memory, which is kind of strange. I was kind of gutted a little bit to finish early, but the whole point of the expedition was to kind of raise awareness of climate change, weather patterns, you know, the environment. And it, yeah, ironically got cut a bit short exactly because of that reason, because we had problems with the ice in the south. And then right at the top, the sea ice hadn't moved. Um, Ships couldn't get through. It was impossible for me to get through on the kayak without going way out to sea, uh, which would be... uh, probably too, a bit too dangerous for me <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, the worst bit was about 300k straight across the ocean which um i wasn't i wasn't geared up for at all and in uh, those conditions wouldn't be advisable i wouldn't be here today i don't think um, talking to you yeah yeah so the weather was the big one on average it was about 10 degrees centigrade less than the seasonal average so where i was expecting the sun just to start coming because it was going into summer uh, i didn't see the sun for the first 49 days at all so yeah you know, i had my solar charger on the back of the kayak which was totally redundant it was so cold <laughs> many times all, all my water bladders froze up inside my tent as i was going you know you wake up in the morning and you can't actually drink anything because everything's solid ice so you have to go and try and find either fresh water that's running or use valuable fuel to melt snow or ice which was kind of interesting and then also getting the kayak landed and launching, it was nearly always over a kind of an ice shelf that was, yeah, it stops at the high tide level. So yeah, you're just crunching through ice and snow and it's kind of brittle because of the seawaters yeah, hitting it and you're just falling through. Into, oh, yeah, gosh. falling through the ice, trying, <laughs> to drag, trying to drag a 50 or 60 kilo kayak with all the gear in up. Yeah, so you can find a, a non-wet area to pitch your tent. I'm sure some of your readers know when you're in a kayak, everything just gets wet instantly. If, yeah. Yeah, unless it's like a mill pond, you just get soaking wet. And, and the sea temperature was about zero degrees. The outside temperature was colder than that for the first two thirds of the, of the actual expedition. So as soon as you stop, you, you just get super cold. If I remember right, you said that there just wasn't, there's not much wood, right? So it's not like you can just make a fire and warm up very easily. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like there's no trees in Greenland. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a few in the south, but there's nothing that you could chop down or use for wood, and you wouldn't want to anyway because it's so it's so barren. It's um, right. you know that we've got to keep as much nature there as we can. I was in my mind, I kind of yeah, because I'm a chef. I was thinking, oh yeah, I'll, I'll collect some driftwood as I go, mm-hmm. dry in the sun, and I'll, I'll be your chefy and, and cook up some nice meals. Yeah, but there was no driftwood, none to speak of. I, th- I only managed to find enough for one fire in total and it was so cold everything everything becomes purely functional which as a chef was really interesting for the fit on the food side because you know like i said i had these images of me cooking up a nice meal sitting out in the tent watching the whales go past you're cold so as soon as you as soon as you get out of the kayak you have to you strip off all your gear mm-hmm. um so half the time i was just standing there butt naked yeah, you know, and, and then putting on my dry gear from right. from inside the bag. And as soon as you got that, you can you, you can breathe a little easier. And it's okay. I'm yeah, I'm not going to get hypothermic now. And then um, cooking is is you just want something warm and as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. So any kind of fish that you know, I, I, I caught only only had the fishing rod out twice, and I caught fish. But yeah, you know, you've got no interest in filleting it, taking the bones out. You just chop it up or mash it with a knife into into the pan and cook it as quick as you can. Right. It's amazing how how the environment changes your whole perspective on food, and it just becomes purely as much nutrients as you can. Which is why a lot of the Inuit diet didn't involve cooking. It was either fermented or eaten raw or dried. 
So it's stuff that dried in the winter, often fermented because it took you know a good week for it to dry, even the smaller items. The fermentation is great because it effectively pre-digests your food for you. So mm. you save energy you know, with your body, not having to eat it, but also you save energy by not having to burn fuel and go through that. It's, it's amazing how all these kind of quite obvious fat and, and results kind of click in your mind as, yeah. as you think about it. Oh, yeah, of course. It makes total sense. You know, the bacteria are digesting half the food for you. So you, you can instantly absorb it into your body instead of having to work and go through that whole energetic process to... Um, turn it into something your body can use. Really, really wow. fascinating stuff. Since food was one of your sort of main focuses on this adventure, what was yeah. the best meal you had, the worst meal you had, and the most memorable meal that you had during your time? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I don't think I had a worse meal, actually, which is great, but I, th yeah. I think the circumstances in the environment contributed to that. <laughs> right. I guess when you're so hungry, you just, yeah, you can eat anything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I was, I was expending about six to 7,000 calories a day. Um, so yeah, but when I stopped and uh, I yeah, had the tent up and I had my warm clothes on, I had a big meal. But it was pretty much all sea mammal. Um, so seal, walrus and whale. Um, and 40% of the whole diet was about was fat. Mm -hmm. So great big chunks of um, blubber and skin were going in there, which, you know, as a kid, I, hate, I used to hate fat. I used to you know, fastidiously cut off every bit of fat. But now I've gone totally the opposite way. I can't, can't get enough of it. And it, the amount of energy I had at the end of the day of like 10 hours of kayaking was, was it actually blew me away. I was I was not expecting that at all. You know, I, I'd read numerous articles about Inuit peoples you know, eating a great huge amounts of fat in their diet. And it was astounding that you know, me as a 53, 54 year old, I had a birthday out there at the end of you know, doing a 50, 50 kilometer kayak in freezing cold conditions and still fit, still feeling those high energy levels at the end was was amazing. One of the most like, kind of iconic Greenlandic dishes is called matak, which is the uh, the skin and blubber of whale. Yeah, mostly eaten raw, but I found that cooking it makes it it makes the texture totally different from from how it, it, the, the actual skin is quite tough. They call it Greenlandic chewing gum, um, but the yeah you know, the the blubber just inside the skin is super soft and creamy, and it's it's got it's got a beautiful taste. But then when you cook it in in great big chunks for about 20 minutes it, it, it gets it gets this amazing kind of firm texture like a firm fish like a monkfish mm. type of thing that was really good one of the kind of side effects out there of not having um, wood to burn is that they can't evaporate seawater to create salt so right. they either got the salt directly from the sea like yeah using seawater to cook in or whatever or from dried seaweed obviously the seaweed's mm. in the sea when you dry it, it it takes on a really salty yeah it's, it's packed full of salt yeah. so you know a lot of the time i was taking dried seaweed with me as well and just just adding it to the dish which was great i think one of the most satisfying meals i had was uh, seagull eggs which I, I hadn't really factored into my diet at all before i went out but then because it's in season um you know spring coming into summer and because you're in a kayak and, and it's quite easy to stop at these tiny little islands where you mm. can see the seagulls have nested on top and you go up and you um, find a nest with a seagull egg and it's it's brilliant because they're big surprisingly really? big actually. yeah they're like uh almost like goose egg size wow and super quick to cook obviously so yeah that was a real bonus on any day when it was miserable sure. weather 
you go up and you find a nest and you've got one or two eggs in there. And, and the trick is not to, um, when there's three eggs in there, that means they've got a clutch and they'll start incubating it. So you, you don't take any eggs out that have got three. So one or two is fine. And mm -hmm. yeah, otherwise you, you, you also run the risk of cracking it open and there's a beak in it. <laughs> so, right. Okay. Right. Right. You're um, eating like what is it, balut, right? <laughs> which is, yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is still edible. Yeah, sure. Um, but, but obviously, <laughs> yeah, you, you want the population, not, not, yeah, not to be diminished. Not that there's much chance of that. Absolutely, billions of birds out there, uh, yeah, and and fifty-seven thousand people. So, I think there's a long way to go before you, you know, have an impact on the bird population. Interesting. See, that's something I never would have considered. And I'm a big egg guy. I could eat eggs like every day. I, yeah. I love eggs. I love a good egg. Yeah, oh, they're, they're fantastic, and, and they're like super yolky as well. It's like mm. it's almost like a it had an extra yolk in it. It was that rich and, and deep orange. On Instagram, there's a, there's a few videos of me cooking it, but super quick and so tasty, really good. Yeah. Well, another thing you had mentioned uh, in our previous interview was about some of the hazards you were going to be facing. Uh, the sea ice, of course, was one of them. Uh, whales, uh, polar bears. Did you encounter any kind of dangerous situations? Um, there was a few, but yeah, no polar bears, which was which was great. Because, yeah, a, a lot of the weight that I was carrying was actually either the rifle or the pistol or my mm -hmm. bear polar bear tripwire to go in the tent. Yeah, I, I was kind of yeah half wanting to see a polar bear, half not. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that you you want to have seen it, but you don't want yeah. to be seeing it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. God. Um, whales were incredible and both frightening and awe-inspiring at the same time you know when, when I, you hear the of this you know a whale blow and then it, you, you look to the left or wherever it was and it was you know often it was like 15 or 20 meters off, off the side of the kayak and you wow if that came up underneath me that would be interesting and then another thing that I um, hadn't really factored in was uh, walruses being a danger which I didn't realize until I got out there the Greenlandic they they love a good story the whole history is, is is made up of verbal storytelling and, and mm. you can imagine when they've got yeah months of perpetual dark you know like they do in the winter in the north they you know stories must have been a, you know probably the only form of entertainment sure, so yeah, yeah they're, they're really imaginative and um what they love telling me was all the possible dangers that i might encounter coming up and, right. and walruses apparently are known to to attack kayaks especially red or orange ones of which, of course, oh, no. mine, mine orange, which was which was brilliant. So that was another, oh Christ! And and, and I saw one walrus, a, a great big round brown head, just popped out about probably about eighty yards off, you know, off the kayak because I knew that they could possibly attack kayaks. Yeah, I, I did a hard ninety degrees and and like paddled as fast as I could towards land just in case it came in right. attack the kayak. That was an interesting one. The sea was yeah. There, there was a couple of stretches where I was where I wasn't going through fjords or through islands and when, when it's open sea and the only thing you know to your west is Canada like a couple of hundred kilometers or, or so away uh the sea can be pretty dangerous um yeah. I, yeah, there, was, there was a few moments I didn't capsize at any point but there was a few moments where I was thinking yeah this is probably about the limit of my my skill set now um mm -hmm. you know just constantly bracing with the paddles to, you know when you kind of lose your balance and you, you've always got to look out something that I hadn't really experience before was the difference between the waves and the swell which can be coming in different directions yeah sometimes you've got like short choppy waves coming at you from from your back right and then from the back left you've got these these bigger swells that are coming and it's quite disorienting and and, and you have to be yeah almost eyes in the back of your head not not to um be um 
taken unexpectedly. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah, the sea ice was really interesting, actually, because in the south, um, the first couple of hundred K was going through quite thick ice that had broken up quite a lot. And it was it was almost like paddling through a great big slushy at, point, at some points. But then in the far north, where it just broken up and hadn't been, you know, kind of um, broken up so much, there, there was huge, like football field size chunks of ice, totally flat. That must wow. yeah, hundreds of thousands of tons. And again, the Greenlandic lesson, what they were they enjoyed telling me about, yeah, nearly everyone's had an uncle who'd lost his legs in a kayak because the mm. ice had crushed together. And, and you can really see it when you're paddling through it. You can see an open channel and you're going through it. And then suddenly it's closing on you. You think, oh crikey, yeah, that's there's no way I can move any of that ice. Right. So yeah, you'd have to be, you'd have to Pop, pop the skirt, jump up onto the ice, and and pull the kayak up. So wow. that was um, quite an eye opener as well. Really, yeah, really interesting. And it's amazing how how the ice has different currents. You know, un- underneath the water, it you know it, it can be totally flat, and often the ice kind of deadens the ocean anyway. So it's it's not often you know choppy or wavy when, when there's those are sea ice, but you can be looking out and there's one bunch of ice moving quite rapidly towards the east. And then right next to it can be yeah the same size ice again moving to the west. It's just like mm. it all move together, but the, wow, the, the yeah. slope of channels going around, which makes it even um, more interesting trying to negotiate. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I guess the one thing people think about when they think of like icebergs is that they're just so much bigger underneath the water than they are in the yeah. top. I just never considered how that would affect the how that would be affected by the currents. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing, and the sea ice is generally flatter as well because icebergs carve off glaciers so they're huge great chunks whereas the sea ice is frozen sea so it's pretty flat so you, you can see for a long way but it's amazing that you know from when you're a distance away you just see a mass expanse of white and you think oh holy hell how am i how am i going to get through that and you right. get closer and it starts breaking up and you can see different channels it's really interesting really really interesting but i stayed quite close to land because my gps screwed up a bit as well um and often couldn't find a satellite which surprised me i thought yeah, space was full of the things, but uh, apparently not. So yeah, for the last five or six days, yeah, my, my GPS didn't work at all. Luckily, I just had to keep the land to my right. Yeah, just keep Greenland over here and you know where you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but then if the sea ice is thick and you have to kind of paddle out to sea, it was, and it was getting misty a lot of the time as well. So um, yeah, the GPS would have been handy in those points. Well, what are some of the most like memorable moments that you had out there? The most dramatic was uh, I was in a storm. This is probably about halfway, halfway through, and my my data had run out on the on the phone. So my weather app, instead of saying you got no data, just was on a loop of the previous day. So when I was going forward for three days, looking back, I was a complete idiot and thought, oh yeah, it's, that's really strange that the weather hasn't changed at all for three days. <laughs> right. And then I, I, I got out there and um camped and then it was just absolute gay you, you, you could you could barely stand up um i had to put loads of rocks around the outside of the tent and i i, I inverted the kayak and put it in, in the front just to kind of act as a wind deflector so the, the tent wasn't getting smashed about too much but then about two in the morning on the second night this, this storm lasted for three days and three nights i was stuck in the tent and, and it I was half deaf by the end of it because the tent was shaking about so much, oh, making wow. so much noise. In the, on the second night, the wind picked up the kayak, which weighs had some kit, kit in it, weighed, must have weighed about forty kilo. Mm. Smashed it through the tent, broke the central pole, gashed my eye, and then 
by the time I realised what was happening, got out. The kayak was like 15 metres up a hill. Oh it was gosh. absolutely incredible. Yeah. So luckily the kayak was okay. The tent was smashed. I had to tape my my spare paddles together and mm. prop it up on, on the inside of the tent. And, and and luckily on the third day, it just the weather just died and, 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 and I managed to get out. But it was one of those moments where you you, you feel pretty safe and you know, you're in a tent, nice and dry. And then suddenly, boom, it, it changes like that. And right. yeah, you know, the tent dropped on me. There's a blizzard outside. Tent dropped on all my gear. Sleeping bags instantly wear. Everything was, mm. oh, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> because you have to just really just be adaptable and flexible in situations like that, right? To be able to respond yeah. to whatever happens. Yeah, and it really makes you, because a lot of places where I camped as well were quite shallow and natural places where, you know, to land a kayak. Yeah. So often there were, you, you could see um, circles of rocks where the Inuit had been using them as camps for mm-hmm. you know, centuries, thousands of years. During the storm, there was a stone circle about five yards behind my tent. And you can imagine, like, it really brought home to you how bloody difficult it is to survive in that in that yeah. kind of environment. And that there's me with all my Gore-Tex and GPS and satellite phone. But these guys, yeah, they, they had to catch seal, use the seal skin to be a shelter for, for them wow. as well as food. Right. You can see why there's stories of you know, whole settlements starving to death because during a storm that lasts, if they haven't got enough dried food or anything in, in stock, there's no way you can fish or hunt or even get out of the tent. So it was a real testament to how tough these people must have been and wow. still are. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in environment. yeah. And, and it's not until you're actually in it really, yeah, like I say, it really brings it home. But, but on the flip side, the the most amazing experiences I had were the generosity and the how friendly the Greenlanders were. They're absolutely incredible the whole way through. Because I managed to get a bit of publicity before I went. And because they're so remote, they rely a lot on Wi-Fi, so social media channels and the national news. Everyone watches national news. And the night before I left, yeah, I was on the news featuring this this Englishman who's going to go kayaking up Greenland, eating only Greenlandic food. Following that, everyone knew about my my live tracker on the map on my website, so they were following me. And so every single settlement I arrived into, there was a, a welcome party, waving Greenlandic flags, oh, having fun. food for me. After a long paddle, or if you've gone six or seven days just wild camping and without seeing a single other human to actually to have people there welcoming you and giving you a bag of food was unbelievable and it made it so much easier to get a bed for the night and yeah it was yeah the, the green Island people were you know phenomenally generous and i can't thank them enough it really really touches you you know touches your heart just to just to think back on it and how lovely they actually were so what about the scientific side of your expedition have you gotten the results back yeah. from your uh, from your yeah. data you collected yeah, so there were two two separate scientific things from myself, apart from the microplastic stuff with the seals. There was one that was, uh, I had a whole bunch of tests done in London the day before I left, and then exactly the same tests when I got back. And that measured, like, that was a DEXA scan to measure bone density, bloods, urine, stool samples, height, weight, all that kind of stuff. And so bear in mind for that 95 days, I hadn't eaten a single piece of fruit, single mm. piece of vegetable, no carbs, just meats, fat fish, seabirds or seabird eggs. And then I lost 13 kilos, so two stone. Um, What's that, 20, 26 pounds? Yeah. About that. Yeah. In the first four weeks of, of paddling, which was, you know, I, I was 90 kilo and I dropped down to 75 within four mm-hmm. weeks, which was the first time I, I managed to find a pair of scales to measure myself, which was worrying because um, I thought that, that's, that's, a, that's a big load of weight to lose that quickly. Yeah. And if I continued on that kind of downward weight loss trend 
at some point I'm going to crash because I'll have used up all my fat reserves. So I was kind of worried about that, but it it, it just bottomed out and 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 just leveled off and, and wow. stayed the same for the rest of the expedition, which was you know another fifty days. Which yeah, I hadn't changed my diet or anything like that. It just it was a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that was the most dramatic difference initially. But then when I got back and they did the tests, the big takeaways for it were um, I lost uh, 10% body fat. So I went from 26% down to 15% body fat, which was scientists were quite amazed at. Um, and also my cholesterol levels halved. You would think with so much meat and fat, it would be the other way around. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And and a lot of the results I got back were like super high tech. You have to be some kind of expert to understand what they're talking about. But they simplified it for me. And then they said, basically, you went from a reasonably healthy position into into that what that class that we actually call an athlete. So I've never been called that before. So that was absolutely incredible. And, you know, as a chef who's been trained in the States and Europe, Australia, New Zealand, the whole Western narrative is, is you know, animal fats are bad, you know, vegetable fats, margarine, eat that, it's really good for you. Five a day, eat, eat that, you know, just stay away from, you know, anything animal is, is really bad for you. Yeah. And it's it just turns out not to be the case at all. In fact, I, I prospered, you know, physiologically, you know, huge amounts from eating this, pretty much all animal and high fat diet. I was kind of hoping that would happen because obviously the Inuit have been doing it for thousands of years and they haven't had planes flying, you know, rubbish Western processed food in for most of that time. So I suspected that might be the case, but I I, I never dreamed that it would be as dramatic as it it has. Looking at the blood markers as well, which again goes into, yeah, doctor territory. They were amazed at the results. All the good stuff was was amplified and the bad stuff had, had been reduced. So... It was, um, yeah, an absolutely incredible expedition. But obviously it was married with the extreme physical duress as well. So what we're talking about now is doing a similar project where I go out there, eat the same food, live in a peat hut. So you're exposed to like the, you know, a lot more of the bacteria, same as I would, would have done in a tent, I guess, but taking out the physical element just to see and, and do the, exactly the same tests just to see what impact that physical. Yeah, obviously it would have had, had a big impact because I was, kayaking for you know between six and 10 12 hours a day the whole way yeah on the physical side I, I was hoping to do 30 kilometers a day on average and then towards the end I was hitting 60 70 and my best was 85 kilometers in, in, in one stretch which um yeah for for an old boy is uh, I, you know I was pretty I was pretty impressed with <laughs> wow that's incredible well, what's next I know you mentioned that you had this idea for going out to the peat hut but what other kind of adventures what other expeditions or experiments or projects are on your radar yeah this has really kind of you know given me the bug to go out and, and find out more about indigenous diets and, and yeah and more you, you think about it you know that we've evolved for yeah say a million years eating and foraging and hunting stuff that is in within a walking radius or a hunting radius of where we are and it's only in the last couple of generations that we've flipped that on the, on its head and, and we're flying stuff all around the world out of season it's been pumped full of antibiotics and fertilizers and chemicals that are yeah, effectively killing <laughs> killing us mm. and that's coincided with humans being in a time when we've never been um less healthy you know diabetes autoimmune disease heart disease allergies yeah everything is is skyrocketing at the moment mm. and in my mind it's 100 to do with the diet and what we're eating we, we, we've got to take it back to how our ancestors lived and cutting out all this processed food so keeping it as 
as near to its natural state as we can. I've got a whole bunch of different things on the go. I'm, I'm experimenting with fermenting. Fermentation is essentially controlled rotting. But then I've been really interested in seeing where the line is between fermented and actual rotten food, you know, mm. with maggots and stuff like that. And is, is that actually bad for us? So I've been doing experiments where I've been fermenting meat and you know, letting maggots get into it, no salt or anything like that, because there's loads of anecdotes about humans and, and tribes and indigenous peoples eating meat that's you know, fly blown. It's got maggots all through it and it hasn't been preserved, hasn't been frozen. It's in, in the tropics. It hasn't necessarily been in the Arctic and they're eating it. It's like it's like you know, rotten roadkill. And mm. I've, I've eaten quite a lot of that now and I haven't got ill from it. Touch wood. Wow. So it seems like there isn't a line between how extreme you can take That's it, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm obviously no doctor. You know, I know that even nowadays they do like maggot therapy. Like if someone has necrotic tissue on their skin, they will actually, you know, put yeah. maggots on the skin to allow it to eat the bad, you know, the actual necrotic tissue. So if the yeah. maggots are eating the bad stuff, right, I guess what's left is the good stuff, theoretically. Good stuff, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's for me just from hearing um, your description, but uh, I don't know yeah. if that's scientific or not, but – That'd be kind of my head. No, 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 that's totally true. And there, there are loads of accounts of because uh, you know you, you think in the Arctic it's going to be cold, so it's almost like keeping it in a fridge. Yeah. But then there, there, there are so many accounts of um, indigenous tribes in the tropics, you know, preferring to rot their meat rather than eat it because of this, you know, the process of fermentation and the bacterial action on it pre-digest the food. Right. So it's exactly the same as the Inuit in in you know, in the far north. All this bacteria that we've grown up with and, and most of our bodies are comprised of bacterial cells. Uh, the, the bacteria are pre-digesting it, releasing all those enzymes and nutrients. So as soon as you eat it, you, you can absorb it. Instead of having to work, you, your body has to spend all that energy. It just makes, it makes total sense. We're, we're talking with a TV production company about going to geographical areas that were pivotal in human existence. So we're talking about um, East Africa, where the first humans evolved from looking at fermentation and how they would have eaten there and then the fertile crescent which you know twelve thousand years ago or so was was a, a lush verdant land and, and where you know farming first kind of happened and then across to the indus valley in pakistan and then the aleutian islands between russia and alaska which is where the first peoples would have come into america and north america central and south america and then and also in also greenland so the the, the areas where different yeah, huge wow. migrations of people would have kind of split off or or, or evolved. So it'd be really in, super interesting to look at the indigenous diets that's fascinating. there, um, and just see, yeah, especially like when people first came into South America, where humans first started eating potatoes and tomatoes and tubers mm. like that. What an incredible experiment! So yeah, if I can get TV production company to pay for that and and and, and play about eating weird stuff again, it'd be amazing. That would be fascinating. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. But the Aleutian Islands are incredible. It's like 3,000 uh, miles of a whole string of islands right between Russia and America, which uh, I was thinking would make an awesome kayak expedition. So yeah. um, wow. looking at that. But, but there are a couple of 300 kilometer plus open stretches of water, which is mm -hmm. going to take probably four or five days, if depending on the sea state, to get mm -hmm. across. And obviously, yeah, there's no land. So I'm going to have, I'm, I'm looking at, some kind of outrigger type thing that can balance the kayak. So if I if, if I need a sleep or a rest, mm, right, I'm not going to tip over. So I'm playing about with that at the moment. <laughs> that's wow. that's a possible one there. How cool! Right. So on the topic of um, documenting your adventures, 
were you able to document your trip here? And if so, where can people learn about that? Where can people see what you've done? Yeah, there's, I was kind of followed by BBC Radio. Um, BBC Radio 4 um, here in the UK were doing a kind of wild microbiome project where they had 30 wild food foragers on a on a wild food only diet for 30 mm. yeah for, th- for three months which was really interesting a few of them couldn't do it but a few of them did and they had the same test as me and then when dan saladino the food journalist who was kind of um, overseeing it uh, found out about my trip we kind of combined the two uh, and there's been two yeah two quite long radio programs here in the uk i think both the links are on my bio in my instagram profile yeah, the biggest and most interesting one with the results came out on Sunday. So that's very current as well. And also there's a, a, a Norwegian documentary film production company called Landmark Films, who sent a videographer on three or four different occasions out there and plus used all my GoPro and drone footage. And they are creating a documentary. So it was pretty exciting. And the trailer should be out in the next few weeks. Uh, it's just private at the moment. And then the actual documentary should be out uh, in March or April next year. Oh, I'm so is, excited to see that. Incredible. Yes. So that's going to be touted out at film festivals. It hasn't been commissioned yet, um, but hopefully you know, someone will snap it up. So as soon as there's a link or anything I can share on that, I'll pop it up on my Instagram and drop you a oh, line yeah. as well. Please do. Yes. I Yes, please do. And and uh, as I say, we're in, we're we're in talks with a different production company about doing a, a six part series on all those different places that I mentioned. So brilliant! Ah, play touch with that 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 happens. That'd be really interesting. What was it like being filmed in that way? Was that like nice to have people around? Was it like a yeah, yeah, distracting it, it, or it, what was that, what was that? No, like? that was great, and it wasn't <laughs> like yeah, a lot a lot of these kind of shows. You, 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 you can see that they've got a big crew behind them. Yeah. So every time I look at it, you go, okay, it's, it's great that you're doing that, but yeah, you've obviously got a big crew of like five or 10 people on a yeah. boat next to you or, you know, in a Land Rover driving next to you as you cycle mm-hmm. or whatever. But this one was yeah, literally just one videographer who hired a boat or filmed from the land as I was going past. And it, it was great because like I said before, everything gets wet instantly and trying to take a picture you know, on the phone when your hands are remotely clammy or wet at all is impossible. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get this stupid thing to work. And also operating a camera or a drone by yourself, you have to take your gloves off. You know, it's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite a pain in the backside to do that. So to have a professional do it and it's, yeah, and, and obviously someone that you, you recognise as soon as you see them after like, you know, going four weeks without without seeing them um yeah it was it was great it was it was it was a real nice bit of reassurance nice. and obviously that their, their photos and, and footage could be way better than the stuff that i take <laughs> wow That's so, really yeah cool. it was really interesting as, as, as well to see the perspective of me from someone else's eyes like a, a couple of the kayak shots they got in in rough water was oh god mm-hmm. whereas when you're actually in it you're just in it you don't really appreciate how bad it looks or how good it looks from the inside so it, it was really interesting to get that kind of third party perspective yeah after you'd been eating this traditional diet for so long was there anything that you missed any foods you just started craving or you know what was the first thing you wanted to eat when you got home donuts and coffee i didn't have coffee either for the whole time i was just drinking water so yeah i don't binge on rubbish food or or sugars or, or yeah. even donuts or anything. but for some reason i was just thinking a, a, a jam donut and, and mm-hmm. a coffee was just in my head the whole time <laughs> you know when you're kayaking yeah between headlands and you, you you know it's gonna take two or three hours and and the land doesn't get any closer and you just check your watch and it's like oh my god someone's moving the land further away it just doesn't get closer <laughs> 
you have a lot of time to think out there so right. um yeah <laughs> donuts and coffee were a big one as soon as i hit that when i got back that was that was amazing so nice. yeah but I, yeah I, I didn't go crazy and because i felt so healthy kind of for the first time in my life i, I was really unsure about what to eat because coming back to england you know you're surrounded by yeah processed foods and all this kind of rubbish it would have been really easy just to go a bit nuts and i i kind of went back onto my normal diet which was like carbs fruit and veg but now i am i've i've kind of reverting back to that kind of greenlandic style where it's mm. i hardly eat any carbs so you know the carbs i do eat are usually my own sourdough bread so it's been fermented yeah which is way way healthier than the, the processed rubbish you know spaghetti rice all that kind of stuff i feel really guilty when i eat it now because because i know that's going to be piling the weight back on well what one of the reasons anyway so i'm i'm hitting the gym quite hard so it's it's kind of inspired me to look after myself and then be made me so much more aware of where my food's coming from and what's yeah. in it yeah i'm reading the label on everything now and yeah as soon as you start doing that it's really depressing just looking at all the crap mm. that goes into our food for, the, for no reason you know, like i make all my own bread now and even the like the traditional loaves that you buy in um in the supermarket they've got like 15 or 20 ingredients in it's like flour salt and water that's all you need you yeah. know yeah. natural bacteria and yeasts act as your rising agent yeah you just really look at all the rubbish that we eat and just look around to see how unhealthy humans in general are and and how yeah how much of a crisis every single healthcare um, system across mm. the world is in you know just because yeah. people are getting sicker and sicker and you know relying more on a fix after the bad thing has been happening because of because of have been eating bad diet for 20 years mm. so you know i'm not become a diet evangelist i'm not you know right. telling what to eat but just question what you are eating and think okay the whole of human evolution has brought us to this point you know, what were we eating for the vast majority of that time yeah until like 100 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it's, it's just it's just crazy and and it, it kind of there's so many messages and signals and, and different channels social media and news mm. increasingly more so now you, you don't know who to believe you don't know if it's fake news or, mm. or anything like that. so yeah. we've just got to cut all that kind of static out and and and, and bring it back to a, a commonsensical way of looking at it is that is is this a food that humans would naturally eat mm -hmm. if it's yes then great go for it if it's no then don't eat it you know just don't, don't try not to compromise and it's difficult and i'm as guilty as anyone else you know it's it's great to pick up a candy bar or whatever but um i haven't done that for a while saying <laughs> but it's it, it is super easy and that whole sugar craving that humans have comes from um comes from our natural instinct to eat fruit which is the sugar you know which mm -hmm. gives us energy and that kind of stuff but it's kind of been hijacked by globalism capitalism you know and, and companies trying to make money on the bottom line yeah. um so go for fruit or honey or so something more natural it's um yeah, yeah it's a minefield out there and it's it, you know even for myself who's been exposed to it and knows probably a little bit more about it than a lot of people it's really difficult and mm. A lot of the time it raises more questions than it answers as well the more you look into sure. it sure. so you just got to kind of cut out all that crap and focus back onto you know is it natural you know, yeah is, is it a natural food yeah and, and and in somewhere like greenland it's really easy to see what would have been the natural diet because it's yeah it's barren. There's, there's nothing on the land it's just what's in the sea pretty much or flying sure. in the air whereas in the west a we've 
it's been so long since we have foraged or hunted in our immediate environment that mm. that whole the knowledge has been lost and also it, it's been blurred by the supermarkets you know like even looking out here from a window here in England there's there's loads of trees there's orchards there's fields full of wheat but you go to the supermarket and most of it has been really highly mucked about with you know process to you know process so that you know most of the nutrients have been lost full of antibiotics and, and chemicals but just you know despite that being the case uh, and that supermarkets and, and modern life has kind of blurred blurred that whole line you just got to keep thinking is that is this a natural thing you know it, you know should i be eating stuff that's been flown twelve thousand miles around the world probably not can i replace it with something from a farmer's market or from the supermarket that you know has come from the local area and chances are yes will be the answer well fantastic mike is there anything else you'd like to talk about on the show do you have any other stories advice uh, anything you'd like to share one thing is is that i only started kayaking four years ago and mm. I, i'm not an expert kayaker and going on this journey you can be really easily intimidated because obviously you get you get into the sea kayaking world and it's really easy to get intimidated by these experts who post these yeah. amazing Instagram pictures and look like they're olympic class kayakers and to think oh i can't do that because i'll never be as good as them i'm, I'm not super confident I, I can just about do a roll you know in, in the kayak and the thing is to is not don't be put off by too much social media you know trawling through and and, and looking at and comparing yourself to other people um obviously don't go and take silly risks you know i had sat phones personal you know beacons and all this kind of stuff um and i had the base skill to do it but there's no reason why you can't attempt anything you want to attempt i haven't got loads of money i maxed out two credit cards and i'm still paying it off but i wouldn't have changed it for the world you know there's always a way to do it and rather than dreaming about it actually you know to take a few tentative first steps into into doing an expedition or something that you've always wanted to do and you'll find out that actually it's it's not as difficult as you think and sure there's gonna be obstacles but just go for it because you know looking back on what i've achieved over the last year i'm quite proud of what i've done and and and, and the tests and the positive results and the feedback from people who have been inspired by what i've done and and, and i'm no olympic athlete i'm nothing special i'm just a, a, a normal bloke who, who went out and did it so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed and pr pretty proud yeah. of myself for that amazing well mike where can people find you where can people have a look at your pictures and and see what you're up to and see what you're up to next yep um my instagram is probably the best one and more up to date and it's got loads of links on the bio on the profile and the instagram is at mike keen cooks m-i-k-e-k-e-e-n cooks uh my website i'm also uh, in the process of updating i'm constantly doing that and it's uh www.mikekeen.co that's the main one. Yeah, get either of those two will take you to as much information as you can stomach or want. <laughs> Great. Well, definitely do let me know when the trailer for the documentary is out. I'm really excited to see that, and we'll put links to that in our website as well when that's available. Oh, brilliant. Um, and just keep me posted on what you're up to next. We would love to have you back on anytime, anytime you've got an adventure to share, standing invitation. So just Fantastic. send an email, and uh, I'd Very be delighted to talk to you again anytime. It's always great to have another exciting adventure to hear about. Cool. Okay, thanks so much, Mike. Wonderful. Yeah, awesome stuff.
very inspiring. So, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, yes. We can't wait to hear what you are up to next. We're on to our next segment. We say it's our favorite segment. They're all my favorite segments. Yeah, I don't know why we say that. We just started um, doing that. I don't know. It makes us sound like talk showy, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though this is like, this would be a terrible talk show. Could you imagine? <laughs> So yeah. this one, it's not really an adventure news. It's not really funny news. Michael, you and I grew up in Arlington, Texas. Yeah. Home of many wonderful sports teams. Well, the and Dallas Cowboys, those... lest you forget, they're not in Dallas. So Nope, they're not. Home of the Dallas Jackals professional rugby team. And home of the new World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Honestly, James... I couldn't believe it. I never it. thought it would happen. I never thought it would happen. Growing up... I never thought. They were just the most... I mean, they weren't Averages, the worst. <laughs> they were really bad for a long time. Yes. And then they, had they that, were really good for a little bit. And a couple of years ago, they got very close. In 2010 and 2011, they yeah. went back-to-back World Series. Horrible. It felt so bad. The first time when you go, it's the first time you've ever been. We got whooped. It's you're just fine. happy to be there. You know, you're, you're, you're happy to be there. made it, yeah. The second time, none doesn't feel good. Twelve years later, we finally win. I woke up oh, that man. next morning and I just opened Facebook and just like literally everyone on there was just posting <laughs> pictures. Of I the messaged Rangers you logo. like I yeah. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Too, I was so nervous. Too ner- yeah. If you're from a place like New York, if you're a fan of a team that's always just been good, right? You might not understand what a big deal this is. But for someone from Arlington, Texas, that's been a lifelong yeah. fan of the Rangers since the 90s and has gone Why to baseball games Earth? and watched the Rangers, you know. They used I to was... give you tickets for $2. Yeah. Because no one wanted to go. $2 and $2. You know, like you still got like a free hat when you showed up. Yeah. <laughs> it was like $2. You get a free bobblehead and, and you go, it's $2 and dollar hot dog night. You're like, yeah. look, you're in and out of the baseball game for like 18 bucks. Like a discounted lemon chill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> It was after seventh inning lemon chills when they're half price. Mm. Delicious. A lot of good um, memories of the old stadium. Never been to the new oh one. Oh, yeah. But... Never have. Maybe one day. I don't know. I don't yeah. live there anymore. So yeah. it's hard. Now I live in an area with the other really not great yeah. team. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the Rockies. Y'all are bad. <laughs> but anyway, just wanted to give them it's a just, shout out. It's just If surreal. any of them are listening, congratulations. I don't think you are, but congratulations. <laughs> Bruce Bochy, if you're listening, congratulations, man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, just wanted to use my slot to give them a shout out. It's a very big deal. You know, I, I vividly remember watching the World Series in 2011 mm-hmm. and they just blew it. They just choked. That like sits over you. That's the way baseball goes, James. It is the way <laughs> baseball go. Miss, Miss another, Ron Washington. Which is another Rangers meme, if you yeah. will. Anyway, enough about baseball. It's boring enough as it is. And I like oh, baseball I and it. I'm the first to say it's boring. Remember that time like, that we I took my it. wife to, to see oh, the yeah. Rangers? That was and you and I a, were like, we horrible love baseball. Game. We're like, baseball is our favorite sport. We love going to baseball games. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to love it. We got there, ninth inning, zero to zero. We finally just left. Yeah, yeah. It was the worst game to possibly bring someone <laughs> to try and like get into the sport. Yep. Yeah, zero, zero. I think that game went to like 12 innings. We left at the ninth. We were just like, you know what? This isn't. We're like, you know this what? Is this is fun. not. <laughs> I don't need a lot of offense, but like yeah. something. Yeah. But anyway, congratulations, Texas Rangers. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Five stars if you're feeling generous, but honesty is better than flattery. Um, if there's something you want to hear us talk about, send us a message. You can find us at 
attemptadventure.com. Click that little contact us button. You can also email us directly. Hello at attemptadventure.com goes to the same place. I would recommend the website because there you can also kill some time looking at show notes, articles, general good stuff. Thank you again, everybody. And until next time, keep adventuring.